As we say good afternoon to our vet, Dr. Bob. How are you today, Dr. Bob? Good, thanks, Dave. How are you? Robert Stabler is with us. Uh, we'll sort of lean towards any issues we might have with our animals, with their behaviour, because they can be funny, can't they? They're very interesting to watch, and we learn something new every day. Okay, and also joining us, Denny Boz. Hello, Denny. G'day, Dave. Nice to see you. Who Thank will you. we be talking to as a special guest today? Special guest, again, to do with behaviour, is Dr. Kirsty Sexel, and she's a veterinary specialist in behavioural medicine from SABS, which stands for Sydney Animal Behaviour Service. We'll look forward to talking to her. And what about a topic from you today, Dr. Bob? Choosing a pet. So it's a very tricky thing, and you need to put a lot of, a yeah, bit of emotion, but a lot of logic in there as well. Good one. We'll be choosing a pet today. It is Pet Chat, plus we'll be taking your calls on 49216216 a little later on. Here at 2 in URFM 103.7. 16 past 12, and we are doing pet chat right through until 1 o'clock today. And we've got our vet, uh, Dr. Bob Stabler, here, and Denny Boz also. So we want to lead off with our topic today, which is choosing a pet. It's a very interesting one. A lot of people have to do it. So let's find out what direction we need there. Well, it's important to think about what sort of a lifestyle you have for a start. So make sure that the pet is going to suit your lifestyle. If you're out running, um, don't get a shit to because it's going to be preferred to sit on your lap. So it's important to look at the lifestyle, look at the breed type. So you choose something that's reasonable. Usually I just say, say to people that actually a female dog is a bit better for a family situation with kids because they're going to be more relational, more able to cope with all the activity. Boys tend to strut around the outside and pretend they're guarding the place, so mm-hmm. not quite as, as interactive. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, um, how much time do you actually have to put into your pet? So... Are you going to be able to take it for walks? If you're not an outside person, maybe a cat is better for you. Um, We had guinea pigs, so that was really nice (laughs) because I get on my pets at work, of course. So choosing a pet, it's really important. Have you got the space for a dog in the yard? If the cat's inside, have you got places to put the litter tray? Have you got places to put the scratching posts so that it's reasonable? Then once you've chosen the, the um, species, then the breed type, what's going to match your particular personality, then go and have a look. Yes, have a little bit of a look on the internet, but be very careful, as Danny would know as and well. you've as got to remember also, they're not puppies and kitties forever. They that, will grow up. And there's just so many websites out there that really are pushing, unfortunately, dogs or kittens from puppy or, or kitten farms that haven't had any socialisation, aren't appropriately uh, looked after and healthy. And and so you've got to be very careful, especially don't go for anybody who's going to drop the dog off at a roundabout somewhere north of Newcastle. Mm. And Denny, being a breeder, any tips you can give along those lines of choosing a pet? I often tell people when they do get their puppy that really the cost of the puppy is the smallest or the lowest that they're going to pay if you work out the lifetime. Uh, cost of owning a dog, a or thousand a to two thousand a year, really, a year. is what you're looking at. Yeah, so anyone who's you know trying to bargain for a price, it's like, well, really saving one or two hundred dollars now is not going to make a difference because you really do need to make a commitment that you will be spending money over the lifetime of the dog. And I'd like, I would encourage you to to buy the better quality foods, to go yep. and visit the vet regularly. So I think that is an important factor when people need to consider about animals, like Budgeting. the cost of caring for them. Yeah. Mm. And, and just again, um, choosing the right breeder, you go and talk to the breeder, you feel comfortable with them, the dog shows that are on all the time, go and see which breeds you like. And working for the RSPCA, then crossbreeds are great as well. Yeah, You've yeah. got to be careful though, but you look at them, you see what seems reasonable. And there is, like we're talking about cats and dogs, but if, if you can't commit to that kind of a relationship with a dog or a cat, there are alternatives. You can go birds. Uh, maybe geez, even spread, rabbits. That's right. Snakes. Fish, possibly. <laughs> Not that I'm in the snakes personally, but it's... <laughs> 
Yeah, there, so there's, there's a lot more simpler pets yeah, out there. Rats that and mice. Quite, rats and mice as well. They're, they're, they are very popular. Lots of people yes. who are living in an apartment, apartment situation yeah. to get a mice or a rat yeah. because they're not allowed to possibly have dogs yeah. or not enough of a big backyard. So, yeah. The other thing, especially Danny would know as well, is that the Penistry Association has actually uh, bought in a rehoming thing. So if you yes. get a dog or a cat from a, a pet shop and it's part of the Industry Association, they will actually, if you have problems with it, they will rehome it for mm. you rather than it being just dumped or going from house to house. We might actually get someone to That'd talk to great. us from the PIA. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And the other, the other thing is be very careful of rescue groups. Some of them are just um, yeah, very small groups and they're not really haven't got the, you know, 150 years of experience like the RSPCA, 70 years for Animal Welfare League. The smaller rescue groups don't tend to be able to put in the resources, they don't have the volunteers, and they might not have the training. Hmm. So you've got to be very careful about where you get your animal from. Look at the people. A case yesterday, I just uh, at the clinic, uh, a lady and a, a man picked up a, a puppy, and the, it was down the end of a lane. The yard and the house was very dirty. 20 dogs ran out to her. The dog came from a different shed. She didn't let the people into the house or the shed. It's alarm bells right from the start. Please be very careful where you get it from, what you choose. And it is, as, as you said, David, a lifetime commitment, yeah. 10 to 15 years. Sometimes I guess, looking at it from a different point of view, when we do buy puppies or kittens from that kind of environment, we're not helping to stop it happening again. We're actually encouraging the growth of that, the right. continuation of the breeding process. And, and the, the puppy farm and the people that aren't doing the right thing. The other thing is, if you do see something like that, certainly ring the RSPCA or the Animal Welfare League Inspectorate. They can go and investigate that situa situation appropriately and so that make sure that we, yeah, just, I guess, get all of these things up and working mm. in a much better framework than what Nip we had at the, the moment. Bud, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And there we go. Some great tips there. It's Pet Chat. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with a special guest in a moment, 21 past 12. It's Pet Chat, 23 past 12, and a special guest joining us right now, Denny. Yes, it is. We've got on the line Dr. Kirsty Sexol, who's a veterinary specialist in behavioural medicine, and she's from Sydney Animal Behavioural Service. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Kirsty, look, the reason for my um, interview with you today was about the uh, Australian Veterinary Association's report on dangerous dogs, and I found it quite interesting to have a read through it. Could you tell us why this report was commissioned? Yes, I guess the, there's a number of reasons for it, but any dog bite is a tragedy, there's no doubt about that, but what's been happening in a lot of jurisdictions around Australia is that governments want to introduce breed-specific legislation, which really has proven to be totally ineffective in all the other jurisdictions, nationally and internationally, where they've introduced it. And in fact, um, it's not based on science. And as the Veterinary Association, we feel very strongly that if we're going to have legislation, it should be based on scientific evidence, in fact. Rather than breed-specific, like uh, cancelling out certain breeds from being able to be available in Australia? Ab absolutely, because the legislations are often um, devised I guess in, in a time of great trauma, a child or an, an adult mm. gets bitten or killed and politicians feel obliged to do something about it, they, it often appears that it's one breed that's doing the biting. And what we know is that all breeds, given the right circumstances, 
um, can bite. And really, yeah. it's about it's about a more sensible approach and recognizing that just if we pan, you know, pit bulls. Just take an example. It's not really going to reduce the number of dog bites. And in certainly the jurisdictions where they've done that, it hasn't decreased the number of dog bites at all. And in fact, most of those jurisdictions have started to repeal that legislation because it's costly and ineffective. So what are some of the suggestions that the report is making? Well, I think the most, you know, there's probably about five key elements that we feel very strongly about. Um, We need to have effective identification and registration of all dogs. So we actually need to know where all the dogs are. And then we need a national database to actually track the dog bites because we don't have that at the moment. Um, nobody, there's no mandatory reporting, and I think it would be really useful if we knew where the dogs that actually were potentially dangerous lived. Um, temperament testing, I think, is really important, so we can assess dogs not only after the event, but perhaps do some temperament testing prior to them being involved um, in a uh, in an unfortunate incident. Education, I think, is the key. You know, we've done it with road safety, we've done it with sunscreens, we've done it with um, uh, drink driving and seatbelts, and really we need to educate the whole community. It's not just dog owners, it's people um, in general who may come across dogs and how do you behave around them and how to understand dog body language, and certainly that's been the key in all the jurisdictions to show that's really effective in reducing dog bites. And then we need in enforcement and resourcing so that we actually have compliance um, with the with the legislation that is going to come in. So rather than just having broad brush, yep, we'll just get rid of all of a particular breed, let's educate the community about dogs in general and, and let's, you know, understand that most dogs don't bite. Most dogs are fantastic family pets. And regardless of what you look like, you're quite capable of being a good pet. That is quite true, and I agree with all those uh, points that you Kirsty, made. Kirsty, if we could just jump in for a moment. We've got our vet, Dr Bob, here. Making the front page of the Newcastle Herald today is a story uh, where the RSPCA has come into a bit of backlash, really, about uh, temperamental uh, dog temperament um, euthanasia, really. Uh, would you like to relay it a bit more for us, please, Bob? Uh, Kirsty Robert Stabler, um, you were my mentor. Hello, How are you? Um, and it's just all of this furor about the the RSPCA temperament assessment and Andrew Cornwall and and we both know that really the important thing is that we have to do these tests. They are very hard. We know they're in difficult environments where we're doing these testing, but but often we have to make decisions that are difficult for the average person to make, but they're based on behaviour, the health and the welfare of the animals. So, um, in, any other mm. things you'd like to mention about that? It's just a Well, I think you're absolutely right, um, Robert. The bottom line is that um, there are not enough homes for all the dogs out there, regardless of what we'd like to assume. Governments are making it more and more difficult um, to own pets in strata units, or if you're renting with pets, it's almost impossible to do that. And really, you know, if I wanted to get a pet uh, as an average dog owner, I don't want to get a pet that's going to have behavioural issues. And we know at least 20% of dogs have behavioural issues. And so the importance of temperament testing is that we actually get the best, you know, dogs out in the community. And, and there's welfare implications. I mean, there's a couple of things that happen if we just rehome all dogs holus bolus. Um, the bottom line is if the dog has a behavioural issue, as you and I both know, it takes a lot of time and effort and money mm. to actually rehabilitate these dogs. And what we know is we don't cure behaviour problems any more than we cure diabetes or thyroid disease. So the average pet owner is not going to want to take on a dog that's going to cost them, you know, perhaps thousands of dollars a year in medication, uh, behaviour modification, environmental management. 
And if they do take on these dogs, and, and I see dogs that come from um, rescues and, and other places where perhaps the temperament testing hasn't been as um, probably as thorough as some of the animal welfare organisations are, then the welfare implications for the owners are horrendous. I've seen marriages break up. I've seen all yes. sorts of dreadful um, implications for a family that has a pet. And then what happens, of course, is they don't want another pet, which means, again, the number of homes available to dogs um, is even lower. So I think we've got to remember it's a two-way street. Nobody puts down an animal just for the heck of it, you know, whether it's the RSPCA, Animal Welfare League, rescue organisations. You know, us veterinarians, we don't want to euthanise these pets, but there are some that just aren't suitable as as pets to live in our community. And we need to recognise that if we truly care about the welfare of the dog, then we should be thinking about not letting them go out in the community. That's right. Kirsty, is the report finalised or is there still uh, data that needs to be collected so that it can be concluded? The report as such, the sensible solution, is, is finalised, but what we want to do is collect more data, and this is the first step in encouraging governments to actually uh, collect data. Let's find out where the dogs are. Let's register all the dogs. Let's actually find out what's happening out there. And, and also, you know, the dog biting incidents, if we actually know what's going on, then we'll be able to have a much better effect. So in science, we're always learning the kind of things that... Uh, Perhaps Robert and I were talking about 10 years ago. We don't talk about it anymore because science has moved on. And so the report as such is finalised, but there'll be updates to it as more and more scientific knowledge comes into play. It does sound like a big task ahead, though. <laughs> well, that's Lots what science and learning is all about, isn't it? It you know? is. And it's about it's education. Worth doing, it's worth doing well, and mm. education is the key. Yeah. As Kirsty said, we've, we've, we're all trying to do the right thing. We're mm. trying to look after the uh, health and welfare and behaviour of the animal it takes the resources, it takes people, it takes money, it takes time. And unfortunately, there's just not enough out there. The time we have to spend on some animals, um, we can actually rehabilitate 20 other animals mm. for this one dog that you might spend two or three weeks on. Yeah. And you've got to have priorities in there. And it's hard. We have to make those tough decisions all the time. Kirsty, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. Okay. It's Pet Chat. If you'd like to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. We're here right through at 1 o'clock, 49216216. We've got Dr. Bob here and also Danny and be able to help you out with some solution to any problems you've got with your pets. 49216216 at 2 in your RFM. Give us a call, 49216216. If you'd like to be a part of Pet Chat, we'd love to have a chat to you this afternoon. Our vet, Dr. Bob, is here, also Denny Boz, and joining us on the line from Katara South. Hello, Peggy. How are you this morning? How can we help you, Peggy? I've got an Australian Terrier. He's three years old. And I used to be able to walk him without any trouble at all. But now that he's about three, he wants to be very aggressive to any other dog he sees. And this means bigger dogs can give him a hiding the, yeah, the <laughs> while, he's, while he's on the lead. The problem, Peggy, with little dogs is they think they're just as big as Great Danes. <laughs> When they get up to that two or three years of age, they're actually reaching social maturity, and oh, so yeah. they think that they're a bit tougher than they really are. And so they, it's a, when you go for a walk, it's just a couple of minutes away from the house so you can retreat back to the house mm -hmm. and then or drive the car to a park and then when there's no one there, take the dog for a little walk so okay. that you can actually retreat back to the car. Yeah. The big difficulty, yeah. The big difficulty is all the other roaming dogs around that yeah. make it very yeah. difficult for the for the the person trying to do the right thing, walking their dog comfortably. Um, it's just not safe sometimes to do that. So a little bit of play in the yard, a little bit of training, 
Um, or you can actually have people, Danny, who will, yeah, um, take the dog for a walk for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's lots of op- options out there. But is he desexed, Peggy? Yes, he was desexed when he was about one year old. Good, yeah. Just re- was about three months after I got him. Good, that reduces... He was a giveaway. Yeah. He had to have everything done for him, um, you know, registration and all the yep. rest of it when I first got him. Yep. And I had him sexed at that time. Good, good. And uh, it, he was very, very good. He sees children. He likes the children. Yep. But if he sees another dog, and even on the other side of the street, he tries to pull. get away from me and... Yeah, and, and you, you know. and you can't take the risk of being pulled over yourself. So you've got to be very careful. Um, so uh, yeah, when they're desexed, it helps to reduce that territorial sort of position. But sometimes they just think it's really good fun, and that's why they do it. Certainly, when you look at him, it doesn't look as though it's good fun. He's just all aggressive and wound up, and as look as though he's going to be really terrible. But um, if he's good with kids, that's great. So the, there's an opportunity to, to exercise and give him other things to do um, and the play and the training. You can modify their behaviour, but it does take an awful long time. I would be very concerned about you being pulled over or tripped over when you're out there. So, as I said, only short walks away from the house would be a good idea. It's Pet Chat 49216216 if you'd like to give us a call, just as Robert's done from Walls End. How are you today, Robert? Yeah, good, thanks, David. Greetings to all the team. Good day, Robert. Uh, two things. Um, uh, animal hoarding, people can end up with animals that, because they're soft-hearted. Yes. And that's a problem. You don't have to comment on it. There's two, I only heard half of the program because yep. I was running around with a mower. Um, but the other question is, I have ended up with a long-haired dog, medium size. Should I have him clipped in summer? Yes. He has would... a history of having this done, but he also has a history of being neglected. So. Yes. It, it, and it will be a bit, ex- you know, when you think about it from an animal that's not very happy or a bit anxious, it'll be a bit scary but it does make them so much happier. When you see the dogs on a really hot day, they've mm-hmm. been clipped, and I've actually seen huskies and malamutes have been kept, clipped, and instead of... More of an Irish, an Irish wolfhound. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just good. It makes it much easier to find ticks, and ticks are really bad this season because yeah, well, of that. That's it. Yeah, well, this guy, I don't want to go into details, but yeah. I did actually, his owner showed me once he had a tick and I got it out. I'm not trying to big note myself, but, mm-hmm. yeah. This Pull is the other out. problem with animal hoarding where you yep. end up with people's dogs that they don't want because they know you're soft-hearted and stupid. <laughs> Not soft-hearted and stupid, you care. <laughs> yeah, but that's where it's using your, you're using your own um, values against you. I mean, as I said, you don't have to comment. I'd better get out of the way. There's probably more important things to oh, do. No. With. no, they're important, co- important points there, Robert. Thank you. Now, you're most valued, as all our callers are. 49216216, if you'd like to be a part of Pet Chat, we'd love to hear from you today. And there's a free line there waiting right now if you'd like to call through. 49216216 for Pet Chat. Easy listening to, and you are a FM 103.7. It's Pet Chat, 49216216, if you'd like to be part of the show. Let's say hello to Dave, who joins us now from Nord's Wharf. How are you, Dave? Oh, too bad, yourself. Very good. You've got Dr. Bob listening to you now. Okay. I have a four-year-old Kelpie that every time I take him out in my ute, he won't stop barking. And that's inside the ute or on the back tray? Both. Yeah. Um, and when do you, where do you go when you take him out? To the beach? Mainly, or the... mainly down the lake or to the beach. Yeah. So he's just really um, looking forward to a great day. Showing off, every, isn't he? He's having a great time. Letting everybody know, look at me. The, prob- yeah. the problem is that if he's inside the cabin, yeah, he de- will deafen you. If he's outside, then, you know, you hear, everybody hears you coming from about one or two kilometres away. Yeah, everybody knows when I'm going out. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So the problem is that to try and change that behaviour, it's really hard, takes a lot of time. You've got to start by just at home, um, open up the... the um, the car in the yard, feed him in the car, train him I to sit stay. Feed him, 
doesn't make any difference. Yeah. He just still barks. Yeah, so you've got to, before he starts to bark, so you've got to get him on lead in the yard next to the ute. Mm-hmm. Would he be okay there and not bark? Yeah, yeah. Yep, so that's where you start from, a place where he's able to control himself, and then you work towards being within five metres of the ute, within four metres, then three metres, two metres, one, and then in the cabin, sitting, don't move the car, don't turn it on, providing it can be still and be sensible, then it's okay, then maybe turn the windscreen wipers on, but not the engine. Yeah, because as soon as you start the motor, that's He's, it. That's, that's what it. starts him. And that's that level that you've got to find, that, that breaking point, the threshold. Mm-hmm. And so you're just in front of that threshold all the time. So he's actually building up the same as getting to jump into the back of the ute, then out, in the back of the ute and out, and then back inside. So that he's able to control. He's a Kelpie. He's manipulating you, and he's very intelligent. So we have to be one step ahead of him so that he's actually able to learn. And so the more we do and just gradually help him to be sensible, the better it is. Um, sometimes if you have got a bit of progress made, then you can actually put him in the car. You can go for a trip around the block and then back home. So it's not going to something that's super exciting and he's just winding himself up and it's a, a self-reinforcing thing and the, and the brain chemicals all go, yee-hoo! So it's, yeah, trying to help him to, to practice being sensible. And once I know how to do it for myself, then I'll be able to tell you and let you know. But that's the principle of it, Dave. Rightio, Dave. Hopefully that helps you. Let's go to Islington right now and say hello to Anne, who's been waiting patiently. Hi, how are you going today? Good. How can we help you? Um, I've got a uh, Canteria Cross um, little dog. She weighs about six kilos, and she's uh, done her cruciate ligament. Yes. I wanted to get an idea on what her recovery time will be after surgery. It's very variable. Um, a good friend of mine who was uh, quite young did his cruciate and hadn't surgery and was back up and about in the short time, same as footballers. Um, my father-in-law had his cruciate done in, in a year or so. So you've got to be very careful. The dog, how old is he? Um, seven. Seven. So it will take a bit longer to heal, and you've got to take it very slowly. So very much in tune with your vet who's done the surgery and back every week or two and say, what can I do now? Massage. Um, just short walks, depending on how long after surgery, then gradually building that up. No ball chasing, because that's how it probably happened in the first place. The sudden turning is what puts extra pressure on the ligament and stretches and breaks it, and that's what they're trying to replace. So the surgery, once that's done, the healing process actually takes a good four to six months for it to get back to original strength in that joint, when it won't actually be as good as it ever was in the beginning. But at least it's able to walk. It's not doing bone-on-bone sort of arthritis-producing things. So you need to keep in touch with your regular vet. Lots of um, gentle massage, short walks, gradually building up the exercise. But definitely, no, don't go too far too quick. Otherwise, you'll be in difficulty. The big problem is, as well, once you've had one done, because the dog's been putting more weight on the other leg, we need to keep that leg relatively fit as well. Otherwise, down the track, it may go too Good one, Bob, and thank you very much, Ian, there. 49216216, that's the phone number. If you'd like to give us a call, there's a free line waiting for you right now. If you'd like to be part of Pet Chat, right through to 1 o'clock, 16 to 1. Easy listening to in your FM 103.7. Pet Chat this afternoon till 1 o'clock. It's 10 to 1, taking your calls on 49216216. We're going to Swansea now. Hello, Jan, how are you doing there today? Uh, Ghostful at the moment. Um, I've got a seven-year-old Maltese, and... um, from since uh, the day that I've had him, he's always slept in the laundry pretty good. Yep. And uh, then all of a sudden last Thursday, I put him into bed and he kept scratching at the door. And yep. he, he's 
letting letting himself out, and uh, um, I've been putting his bedtime back an hour of a night. Yep. Uh, to see if he was I heard of an anxiety problem. Yep. And uh, he's pretty much, well much around me every day. Yes. And uh, it's it's going on like that every night. And last night uh, at five o'clock this morning, I was chasing him around the um, the lounge room with a water bottle or a rolled up newspaper, shutting it, trying to get him into bed. Yeah, not much point in doing those sorts of things because he's already fearful. A couple of possibilities. Certainly the change in daylight saving time has thrown my body clock out and it certainly throws animals' body clock out. The other thing, if it was a sudden change and it was Thursday rather than the, the night we changed the weekend before, it's possible there might be something in the laundry, snake, spider, um, something fell off the shelf that's just made that place a little bit more fearful, a bit uncertain. So it would be a good idea to keep the bed in the laundry, um, but leave him in there, put the bed in through the day just for five minutes, put some food in the bed, um, pad or stroke or play near the laundry to help him to get used to that. Again, so that he's feeling a bit more comfortable, put a radio on in there so it masks the sounds of other things outside, and that may help him to settle down. At uh, seven years of age, he certainly will be sort of getting towards senior years, so it could have been even he got a sudden fright, he, he stuck his tail in the, in the bed or something, and that can be very highly linked to that particular place. So it's now become an association, a link with anxiety. So try and change those links to things that are good. So a bit of food, a little bit of play, the bed, the radio that helps him to be a bit more calm and settle, listening, putting on, of course, your favourite radio station. And um, that will hopefully help him to settle down. But if you're worried and you're not quite sure, then best to take him down to your regular vet just to make sure there's no medical issues that might have suddenly happened that tipped him over the edge, over his threshold. All right, it's 7 to 1, and Anne joins us from Limitree Passage. Hello, Anne. Hi, how are you this morning? Good, how can we help you? It is, how can we help you? Um, We've got a senior uh, female Border Collie um, dog, um, and she's she's 12 and a half, and we've just noticed a decline in her sort of um, of mobility. You know, we've got stairs, so she's, she's now struggling to get up stairs and down. Yep. But we've noticed the last couple of months that she's starting to get some painful joints. Like when we check her for ticks, you move her, her legs or her hips or anything like that, you know, she'll sort of winch a little bit. Or clicking, yeah. Yeah, so we sort of just wondered at what, like, pain management at this stage in her life or or what sort of things are available for her, we can give her to make her life a little bit more um, easy for her, you know, getting towards the end of her life. That's right. It's, it's, in old animals, we do have lots of options these days, lots of different painkillers, but also just the basic things. So just short walks to keep her muscles and joints mobile. The same yeah. as us, if we stop doing a sport, we freeze up. So we've got to keep a little bit mobile. If you can, depending on the number of stairs, a ramp that might reduce that. Um, oh, these are internal stairs. Ah, uh, um, okay. So she comes inside, see, so... Um, a bit it's, tricky. It's quite, yeah, yeah. She, she actually goes up and down the stairs just using, oh, it's hard to ex- explain, she just uses both both the back hips. Yep, she, she goes bunny down, hops. doesn't go down on a floor, you know how we go down, yep. but she goes down sort of just up and drops her, her legs on the, on the stairs. She's not going down properly, not walking properly. Okay, she needs to go to the vet so that you can actually help her. There are injections we can give, we can take x-rays to see out what, how the level of extent of the damage, 
They can recommend a supplement with fish oil or glucosamine. A glucosamine chondroitin supplement would, yep. would be good. Yeah. And just um, show you how to do some gentle massage to keep her mobile. If she's a bit overweight, very important to lose a bit of that weight because the the more trim they are, the less the heart has to pump, um, the, the more their body's able to move around, and so it helps to increase their longevity. And Border Collie, 12 is good age, but I have seen them at 14 or 15. Um, just depends on how misspent youth she had chasing balls and, and cars and things. But there's certainly lots you can do, definitely down to your regular vet, and they can certainly start you off on a, a program of treatment. It's Pitch at 5 to 1. Joining us right now from Bullaroo. Good afternoon, Sharon. How are you doing? Yes, hi. I'm good, thanks. You? Very good. What can we do to help you? Um, I thought this might be a good opportunity to um, to let um, the community know that I've found a beautiful ginger male cat and I'm looking for his owners. He's got white feet and a white chest yep. and a little white streak down his nose. Yep. Um, he's so affectionate. He's somebody's best friend, this cat. He's quiet and he likes to lay on the bed. And I'm just really keen to find his owners, so I thought it would be good to announce it. That's great, Sharon. The other important thing is to take him down to your regular vet so they can actually run a microchip scanner. Yep, I've done that. He's not no, microchipped no chip. and not dissexed. Yeah. Okay. And how old do you think he might be? Six to 12 months? or The vet said he's probably about three years. Okay. Um, so it may be that, yeah, he's wandered off if he is very gentle like that. The other thing is just putting a note in the shop, local shops. Yeah. Um, cats can actually roam for up to 10 kilometres, but usually they will be only about the local area, so within sort of a kilometre. If he's not desexed, though, he might have come from quite a distance away. We are in cat uh, breeding season. Tomcats are around everywhere. They're fighting. It may be that he's had an injury. If your vet's checked him, that's great, but... Um, yeah, if he's very gentle, that's good. But they're the ones that I guess we'd really like to breed from, but <laughs> we don't want him to be getting Have out there getting into the fights. Phone number so we yeah, we've got yeah. your number, oh, Sharon. So thank you for that. So if someone uh, knows of that dog around Bullaroo there, or that cat around Bullaroo, give us a call on 49215555. We have the number to get in touch with Sharon for further details. Three to one pet chat today. Now, what about any shows on that we know of for this weekend coming, Denny? Actually, it's a big packed weekend of shows at the Hillsborough Dog Show grounds, Dave. So not only is there on Friday, this is Friday, Saturday and Sunday, so not only is there an all-breeds dog show, but there are some specialty dog shows where uh, the breed that you like is Jack Russell's, Dave, Yeah, because you don't have to think of a name for it. They've got their own name. They've got their own name. Little JRs. (laughs) So so there is the Jack Russell Terrier Club of the Hunter region will be holding their show on the Sunday as well. Uh, There's the Working Gun Dog Club. Uh, They'll be holding shows as well. So lots of different breeds to check out and talk to breeders about. Plenty going on. Thank you very much. We're almost out of time. Thank you to Denny Boz. Back next week. And is it you next week, Dr. Robert? I uh, know. I think it's back to, to David. David, yeah. Might be David Tabard. Either way, we'll look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks' time. That would be wonderful. Dr. Robert Stabler joining us. If you need any information about him, please give us a call at 2NURFM. We'll point you in the right direction of a contact for Dr. Robert.